Welcome to Radio Rollback Podcast, celebrating the greatest days of music radio. Now here's your host, Jeff Martin. Hello again and welcome to episode 29 of the Radio Rollback Podcast. Uh, Really great to to be with you again. We've got a very special edition of the podcast this particular episode. As once again we bring you an interview with uh, one of the people who were right there making uh, all that uh, wonderful radio back from the 60s, 70s and 80s. Our guest on the show this week is uh, Noel Miller of Radio 270. So we're we're talking pretty much all Radio 270 with uh, Noel on the podcast. Thank you very much indeed for everyone who... um, messaged me about episode 28 and I'm glad you enjoyed that just a reminder as I always do that uh, all the episodes all 28 episodes are still available from wherever you get your podcasts from including Podbean it also includes uh, Spotify Google Podcasts uh, Apple Podcasts and others as well so um, thank you very much and uh, say if you're new to the podcast do go back and listen uh, to uh, the uh, the other episodes as well and uh, so, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we have another guest this uh, particular episode, uh, Noel Miller, who was uh, the first programme uh, director of Radio 270. But before we get on to having a chat with Noel, and uh, very interesting it, it is too, let's uh, have a listen to a bit of 270. you Our biggest entry this week on the 270 Top 40. Very big record. Number six... First weekend now. It's a four top song. <laughs> Reach out and I'll be there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I can think here for them. The Bill Ford Top Song, making it first weekend at six on the 270 Top 40. A very big song, indeed. Oh, uh, tremendous screws there. All right, 11 minutes after six o'clock on 270. Smoother in the groove on the Top 40, sir. Many no, glad to be here. Glad to be here. And all right, now, I, oh, somebody was saying the other day, this song thought was very funny. They, I was, you know, asking and somebody was talking about why surgeons wear masks. And you know why surgeons do wear masks? It's so that if they make a mess of it, nobody will know who they are. Join the 270 set and have a lot of fun. Because you get with the 270 set and you get a glossy book about 270 and the ships and all the DJs. Got all the information in it. You get a lapel badge, of course, the car stickers. But that is only the beginning of everything. There's special cuts on 270 offers. Each month, the 270 set member is invited to visit Ocean 7. That's us out here on the ship. And you have a cup of tea and a few other things, and you really enjoy yourself happening, you know, only for the day, a little trip out, and uh, lots of prizes too, mm, because we've given away uh, records today, and each month albums are given away. 270 set members also get cups on club membership that we arrange, you know, cuts and dances and things like that. Many are coming along. In fact, you do get your money back. So send your membership fee of 10 shillings together with your name and address to 270 set Radio 270 Scarborough, Yorkshire. And you'll be a member of the 270 set, and we'll be glad to have you. So you're personally invited to join. Will you join? Good, thank you. Send your 10 shillings now, and you'll be all a member. We'd love to have you. Moving on to number five. It's coming down a few places. It's Ben. 
Radio 270, a unique radio station uh, on the Ocean 7 uh, from June of 66 through till August of uh, 1967 when the Marine Offences Act uh, put pay to it uh, unfortunately really exciting station to listen to as well going back and listening to the tapes and we're going to be uh, about Radio 270 with their very first uh, programme director Neddy Noel Miller uh, unfortunately the first bit of the uh, recording I made with him seems to have got corrupted in some way Noel started off by telling me that he was working at uh, SUE in Sydney, already already had a great radio career, Uh, then decided to come over with his wife uh, Carol uh, to England to uh, try his luck at the BBC after doing several demos. It didn't quite work out for him, but um, Carol had got a job at uh, Pi Records. One of the managers there, uh, Cyril Stapleton, was a bit involved in uh, offshore radio and his wife... Uh, had shares in a station called Radio 270, along with Wilf Proudfoot, who was uh, one of the main uh, shareholders in Radio 270. He was also a a local MP as well and owned some supermarkets. It seems that uh, Radio 270 was originally going to have a format pretty much like the BBC, but uh, he wanted a more pop format. Cyril set up a a meeting with uh, uh, Wilf and Noel and uh, pretty much... That was that. Noel was to become the new programme director at the brand new Radio 270. I then asked Noel if the ship was already there when he took the job. Well, it, it had arrived, but it hadn't gone on air. It yeah. was out. It was basically spent most of its time uh, because the mast broke. It was going It was going to air on April the 1st and uh, the mast broke. So I, I don't think it actually got to air if it did it was only briefly and so then it had to the mast had to be refitted and in that time between april and uh, june that's when i arrived because there was uh, this is when the politics were happened between wilf proudfoot and don robinson um don was sort of uh, eased out and wilf took over and uh, he he shoved me in he was a, a very forceful man. Love, I loved him. You know, I, he was just a, a magnificent person, and um, and so was Don. They were they're all great people. But um, I was quite happy to uh, just stay on Wilf's side, and uh, he just pushed me in and said, "Go to it." And uh, I was given uh, complete freedom, and freedom to the point that. Um, it was difficult because I was always the sort of the meat and the sandwich between the DJs and Wilf. He never had much time for DJs. He didn't think they were necessary, which is um, which is a bit crazy. Is, well, yes, but well, you know, at one stage there, he got someone out when I after this was after I left. Um, Robin Best, I think he's. I can't think of his. I never met him, but he was a. Uh, he, he worked in Wilf's uh, shop in Scarby or on Scarby Road or one of the one of the places where he had a shop and he worked in the, in the shop and he he got him working on a turntable in the storeroom or something and and said well you know you're pretty right and they put him on the ship crazy yeah, that's he thought that you know DJs were that was how easy it was yeah yeah so so when you had that 
that that first meeting with the DJs, uh, Noel. I mean, I guess the thing working in your favour that they, they were all pretty new to this and they hadn't got your experience, so at least uh, you were uh, working with people who were new and uh, could learn. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, I, I suppose from the point of view, they didn't have a choice, and um, I spent a bit of time. Uh, the, look, they were pretty much ready to go. They're all, they all had pretty good person or fantastic personalities, and but there was a couple of um, we were a couple short. So um, we got Dennis Straney from Radio City, or Dennis the Menace, mm-hmm. and from Radio Scotland we got Boots Bowman. So we had a, the, they were pretty pretty well ready to go. I, don't, I never have, I never had to put any any ideas in their heads. They were just fantastic and just the, some of the best radio personalities I've ever known. So on that first day, what what was the atmosphere like? I suppose excited, I guess, all of you. Are... Yeah, I suppose a bit of ap- apprehension too with the boat. I think. Being in the North Sea, you never knew what you were going to get from one day to the next. And it was never calm. Even though it looked calm, you always got some sort of a swell, a side swell, or something was going on. So, um, I, you know, some of them, well, Paul Burnett always claimed that he never got used to it. But um, uh, in all the time I knew him, he... Uh, he was a pretty good sailor, actually. Yeah, I think he had a he had a rough time. He came up with the boat, I think, from the Channel Islands, reading some stuff of his, and he had a he had a bit of a rough time coming up, and I think the mast uh, breaking obviously really terrified him as well, didn't it? Yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, Paul, it, it probably dramatised it a bit. I think um, I was amazed how matter of fact they all were, you know, because. Um, even getting onto the boat was a bit of a task because they had the uh, the trawler and the trawler used to, you know, the trawler was only about half the size of the boat because it's only a, it was a Dutch trawler, but then the fishing trawler that uh, Bill Pashby owned used to do the tendering. Mm-hmm. And when that came out, you, <laughs> you had to sort of um, time your jump from the trawler into the um, ship that is Ocean Seven, or else you're liable to get squashed between them. So in the end, in the end, they uh, they ended up with a smaller boat, which was a bit safer. So, what what was your first impressions of the boat when you saw it, Noel? Uh, was it what you imagined it to be? I guess you'd maybe seen a photo or whatever, but um, <laughs> I don't think I even ever thought about it. It was just a job, and I wanted to get on with it, and uh, I was pretty much. I had the blinkers on and just went straight into it. I don't think I ever worried about the boat too much. What was it like to work on there? Because the whole station was very unique. So was the ship because it, obviously it was the, the smallest of them all. Um, and uh, I suppose if we were selling it as a house, we would say it was cosy. Yeah, but it was also it was also the boat was built for the North Sea. It was a Dutch lugger, which is a, a fishing trawler that. Um, well, a lugger that uh, is just built for the North Sea. So it was built for this short water that the North Sea has in in certain areas where the waves hit you pretty quickly. And it um, even when we had that storm in in November 66, that was the big storm. It was about a force 11 gale. Um, the boat did weather the storm, even though it sometimes 
in the you know during the night you appeal to be it, it, I reckon the boat was almost uh, vertical at some stage going up those waves but um, it it got through it all right except that it scared the bejesus out of um, three DJs and half the crew we lost we lost uh, we lost the cook he hit the deck running when they arrived at when we got back to uh, Bridlington I think he just he just kept running I don't think he even stopped to collect his wages wow. The DJs, the DJs. There was a, a member of the press there, and the DJs uh, uh, perhaps were um, terrified at that particular time. There's three of them that that um, said that it wasn't safe, and they were frightened about you know the whole time. And I, I suppose I was too. But um, anyway, we got out of it. I think um, it was a shame that they uh, they were pretty good, uh, pretty good DJs. I, I, I was. Very disappointed that uh, Wilf couldn't see it my way, and he um, he said they have to go because they um, they put him in a bad light. Yeah, and, and he fired him, didn't he? Yeah, he fired him through me. He never actually did. He never did <laughs> he it himself. He did the, the firing. He sort of that was why I'm eating the sandwich. I go in and I have to sort of say, well, listen, this is what the boss wants, or this is what the way it is, and they go, well, we don't like that. So I. I so I agree with you. So I might I might go to Wilf and say, listen, we we don't want. But they they achieved a lot. They had a at one stage they had a strike, and um, there was a Norman Wingrove, or you know Norman and Hal York as he was called, and I uh, probably had to uh, had to do a couple of days just on our own on the ship, trying to um, you know play records and keep the thing going because they. They went on strike because at that stage they were doing two weeks on and one week off. But in in a boat like that, probably on Caroline, that's fair enough because it's it's a big boat and there's plenty of room. But on a boat like that, I um I ended up by going to Proudfoot and saying, look, it, it's not fair to to have people living like that a fortnight at a time and trying to be creative and tripping over each other. It's not fair for them to be doing that. So he he relented and gave them one week off, one week on and one week off. But I think later on, when I after I left, he insisted that they do work on their week off. That is, they go out and sell time on the radio station. Yeah, I was going to uh, actually ask about that, Noel. Yeah, because that um, I'd I'd read something uh, about that. That uh, yeah, some of the DJs actually did go out and sell. Uh, try, or, or certainly attempt to sell ad spots as well. So, uh, again, that was kind of another uniqueness about it. And, of course, the strike was definitely uh, unique. You you kind of had your, your hands full a little bit. It wasn't just um, a, a simple uh, program uh, director's job. No, no, it wasn't. It, it was uh, you, you're sort of involved in this politics all the time because you had – DJ, you had this uh, situation where you had to sort of try and keep the boys happy on board and you had to keep Proudfoot happy because um, he didn't uh, really want to um, – he didn't want to pay him as much as he did and uh, he didn't consider that uh, it was a hard job. Well, he never he never actually spent time on the boat to the effect that uh, he, he would have experienced anything like that in his life. There were there were days there, you know. There were days there when you did actually feel, gee, I wish it would stop rocking. You know what I mean? Because you're in you're in a studio underneath the waterline, and you've got the 
turntables on a gimbal. Now that gimbal stays horizontal, but you're the one that's doing the rocking, but at times the gimbal's at almost an 80 degree angle to you as the boat rocks. So you you can imagine sitting in there for two hours on end and the the shifts were split, like you do a two or a three hour shift and then come back and then go off for a couple of hours and then come back for another two or three hours later on. So you're probably doing four or five hours a day, then at night, uh, staying up up because we, we only had one decent studio, so we had to do all the recording of ads, and we did all the ad, ads. Ads were all recorded on board. We had to do that at night after 1 o'clock. So you're, you're still in the studio there rocking around under the waterline till probably 2 or 3 in the morning. Can you imagine, you can, today, you know, you've got a panel, you open up the panel, you can get whatever you want, whatever effects you want through a computer, doesn't matter what you want, you can change your voice, you can make your voice go fast, slower, and whatever you want. The way we did reverb was we used to run it through one studio and then a tape, then through the tape head, (laughs) and regulate the volume coming out of the the play side of the, the tape to get reverb in our commercials because you needed the commercials to sort of stand out on air. So we got that reverb through um, recording in the news studio, running the sound through the door into the um, other studio and getting the reverb. That, that that's that's really impressive i'll tell you because uh, you couldn't do it otherwise yeah uh, there's no other way of doing it yeah i just think it uh, you, you did a, an amazing job and i think the station just sounded so good you know with with you know limited conditions maybe compared with uh, with, with some of the um, you know the other stations who had two studios and stuff like that it was um, yeah absolutely fabulous and the the studios themselves were were what what were they kind of like were they no very small very you couldn't uh, you could you couldn't have um like a, a normal studio where you can have some you know you got one some somebody one side of the desk and the other side yeah you dj on one side you can you know there, there was no room for two people you could have somebody standing but you couldn't have two people sitting there wasn't wasn't room so you had uh, you had two tape decks and two turntables. Now the records only went in those days only went for maximum say three minutes. So in that time while that was on, you had to queue up your commercials on tape. You had to queue you then also as you're doing that, make sure that you had the other record ready to go. So um, you had that time, and then if you had to sort of um, you had to think about anything. Well, there wasn't much time. It was all so spontaneous. So everything those DJs did was spontaneous. No thought, no nothing. Everything just came straight off the top of their head because you didn't have time to do anything else. Yeah, what a grounding, really. Uh, what a grounding for uh, people sort of coming well, into you know, it. Most, a lot of those DJs went on to bigger and better things, especially, say, Paul Burnett, my God. Mm. He had a wonderful career. Yeah, and and people like Phil Hayton went and uh, Phil Hayton, yeah, 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 yeah. Everything else would have been a breeze after that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just really surprised. So you didn't even have the the luxury of um, of Spotmaster carts or anything like that. It was all on tape. Oh my god, that was a luxury. Yeah, 
Yeah, used to look at uh, the pictures. Some, you know, some every now and then there'd be something from Caroline. You see them there with their spot masters there, and the, and all the all the carts in a rack, and think, oh, gee, that'd be just marvelous. Because I'd come from that in Australia, you know, where everything was on cart. You just, you know, sound effects, whatever you wanted, you could just uh, press a button. But we had to do everything on tape. And when you think of it, all the <laughs> all everybody had their, you know, their little sound effects and their, their jingles and things like that that they used to use, but that was all on tape. So you had to queue it up on a tape before you could do anything. It was quite – I'll tell you what, it was quite funny that the spindles used to wear out. Really? So yeah, you had to take everything off and, and put on another spindle because, they, you know, the middle used – because you're on and off. The, the machines, you're just taking them on and off all the time and the plastic just chipped away to nothing. I just, uh, I just find it amazing. I mean, God, I, I don't think I'll ever sit in a radio studio and think I'm stressed again hearing that. I wouldn't think so. No. And so uh, it's interesting that um, Jerry Zeeler or Guy Madison, as he, as he was called on air, he used to sell stuff and he went on to have a great career in um, radio advertising. And uh, he was, um, well, I mean, Jerry's, Jerry's out of the business now, but uh, he owned, he actually started, he owned radio stations and uh, he sold time on radio stations. He had all sorts of things going that um, he's sort of um, puts back to those days that he spent selling time for Radio 270. He reckoned that was a good grounding for him. Yeah, and I, I guess it would be as well. Um, and as you say, a lot of people went on to have have uh, have uh, good careers uh, after that and um you know uh, pretty, pretty much worked and some of them still are uh, which is is marvelous yeah yeah i suppose you know that's it's true they are they're still going not not so many uh that i know of the in the 270 set though no? i don't think um i don't think any of them are still going are they uh, no, yeah, I think probably the most of them have, have uh, probably retired, but they certainly had good careers right up to retirement, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, some of obviously off the other stations are, are, are still going to this this day, and uh, you know, people like uh, Tony Blackburn never been off the radio since he joined Caroline in '65, which to me is absolutely incredible of a career. Yeah, he's a smoothie, isn't he? He's very good. Yeah, I I met him at the reunion. He didn't know who the hell I was. <laughs> oh, he's it's, it's been down in that London set, mate. And, and yeah, no, no, yeah. Well, I don't think he cared either. But uh, <laughs> it was interesting. You know, we had a bit of a chat and all that. But uh, yeah, it's um, the Caroline guys. Sort of, I don't think they thought too much about anybody else around at that particular time. They were the uh, they were the, uh, the, well, they were the stars, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Caroline was the headline station, wasn't yes. it? And it, it always has been from the era, maybe because it was uh, was first. But, um, yeah, it was certainly the headline station. Yeah, look, I, I, I must say we did get inspiration from Caroline. I'm not, uh, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't ever, ever say that anything bad about Caroline. I think it was fantastic. And... Um, I enjoyed listening to them when I could. You know, I think the whole era was so 
fantastic with uh, with all the different um, stations. You know, I mean, uh, you know, with Radio London, Caroline. I mean, City was a really interesting station. Two Seven O was was fabulous, as was Radio Scotland, and uh, you know, the the whole era. Uh, and what amazes me, Noel, is that it lasted about three and a half years, and yet here we are, what, 50 years later, and we're still talking about it. Yeah, well, it achieved a lot. There's songs, you can listen to tapes now and you can hear a lot of songs that uh, probably you you would never have been heard. People never would have, you know, all those people like Engelbert Humperdinck and all those people, they, they were struggling to get coverage with the BBC when though when those years yeah yeah people like Tom Jones would have probably never had the massive career he's had without without pirate radio yeah yeah well the the Beatles and Stones and all that they're all established but um, people still couldn't get enough of them and when when pirate radio came along well the whole thing skyrocketed it's just uh, yeah but it's interesting that when when I came back to Australia Nobody sort of gave a damn, and um, they, you know, I, I thought oh, I'll come back to Australia, and uh, a lot of people will love to hear about this, but no. So I virtually had to start from scratch when I came back. Yeah, it didn't inhibit you though, as well, because on one of my earlier podcasts, I was talking to Ian McRae, who was on Caroline and City, and uh, he he went back as well. By saying you'd work for Pirate Radio in the UK, what I'm trying to say is nobody went, oh, well, we'll not have you then. But Or was that the reason that you had to work from the bottom again? Up? Well, not really, but uh, I, we, I sponsored... Um, I, I was working in radio and uh, I spot Boots Bowman. I sponsored Boots Bowman to come out to Australia in, uh, I think it was about... 1967, 68, and um, I got him an audition at three, uh, one of the Melbourne stations, 3XY, and um, I was telling them about, you know, Boots, and Boots, you know, I just idolised Boots and the way he was on air and he was so free and easy, and I thought he'd be a cert, but they came out here and... Um, Basically, they didn't understand him. <laughs> you know, the patter and everything like that, it just was uh, because in Australia at that particular time, it was sort of, it was nothing like the Pirates had. I, I didn't, I don't think even radio in Australia was in, as good as the Pirates that I, I'd left behind me. <clears throat> they... They were just more the, the sort of radio that they were doing in Melbourne and everywhere else was just sort of, uh, you know, 24 degrees in the breeze. And this was and that was, you know. So, it, it wasn't, uh, there was nothing, there was nothing entertaining about it. They were just joining records together. Yeah. And when Bruce came along and did all these little bits and pieces on, the, on a tape, which I got him the audition and all that sort of stuff. The program manager came to me and he said, oh, "I don't know. I don't think I don't think people will understand him." And so Boots had a terrible time, and he ended up working in Darwin and um, going up north. And um, you know, I, I thought he'd be a sure thing in the cities. Yeah, but 
wasn't to be. Yeah, do you, do you think that... I think um, uh, the the pirate era almost... Um, although it, there, it was true that a lot of the stations, even Radio London, set out to almost copy what was uh, happening in America, but it kind of developed a whole scene of itself, didn't it? They moved away from that. And, you know, would you say that almost uh, through the pirates they'd sort of moved further than Australia, even though they got more of a history than we had. Well, yes, and I, I you know, the, the things like, like Kenny Everett, God, I mean, that, that, that was just brilliant stuff in those days. Um, all, all those sort of um, well, comedians were, um, were just uh, putting it together in a way that uh, radio had never been done before, so they had... Two things going for them. One, it unleashed them with the pop music and that stuff that, you know, people hadn't heard before. Plus, they had this uh, this patter, you know, the comedy. There, there just was. It was just a, a wonderful era of radio in London. Yeah, winning. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and again, you know, I always think, uh, you know, Kenny was taken from us far too young, and I mean. <laughs> You know, when you think of the stuff he created with the um, thing, you know, the the tools that he had then. Imagine what he could do now with all the stuff that's available. It would be incredible, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. But that, you know, that's the sort of thing. Well, yeah, a lot of but a lot of DJs fed off that. Mm. Yeah, they didn't copy it, but they fed off it. They were given license to be, to be themselves, to be funny, to, um, you know, to entertain as well as play the music. And and that, for me, is why I, I just think the 60s, 70s uh, and uh, the 80s were, uh, for me, the golden age of radio because we've almost, uh, I don't know how much you know about UK radio, we, we've pretty much gone very much backwards now and it's pretty much, let's say the name of the station and, and uh, plug whatever we want you to plug this week and move on. There's very little... Well, my personal opinion, there's very little creativity in it these days. Yeah, I think um, in Australia it's pretty much the same too with it. Um, there's a lot of talk radio and um, there was a time when FM radio started. I was lucky enough to be one of the first DJs when uh, FM radio started in Sydney in 1980. That was a fantastic time because they were putting music together and um, there was still a bit of entertainment with you know what you could say and what you could do and um, the music was where they were just taking advantage of the stereo and the sound of music at that time and then suddenly they decided that um, the old am radio style of you know 24 degrees in the breeze was uh, was a little bit better where they just do promotions um, keep the talk to nothing and uh, just churn out music on on one some some radio stations and others just went to talk so uh, that's the way it is in Australia at the moment yeah yeah um I've taken up a load of your time and I thank you for that but before I let you go can can I, I must ask you about the ballad of 270 which hopefully we'll 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 play a little clip on. How did how did that come about? Because it's it's absolutely fabulous. Um, yeah, I just wrote it. Uh, I've got a had a sort of a, a group and we did it. Uh, we did a um, uh, I wrote it and we recorded it. 
That's as simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> it's original, and so uh, you, you've got license to play it. It doesn't uh, – I own it. That's all there is to it, as long as they keep the uh, the name going. That That's one of the other unique things about the boat, because uh, did you not come in and uh, and uh, fill it with fuel and water and stuff at times and then yeah, go back out right. again? Yeah, it had to be done overnight. Yeah. Uh, and sneak in. You know, in the end, I think we just came in when we felt like it. But um, I don't think we worried too much about because I don't think anybody was, you know, standing on the shore waiting to nab the boat. So um, we we didn't have any real problems. The one thing I was going to say, because I've seen in your film, which really surprised me, um, how... Um, close everything was literally that the, the bunks were almost in the the mess room and uh, in your film there's some darts going on isn't there and it, it's almost like you could almost play the darts from lying in your bunk yeah well that was the um that was the hold where the uh, the fish used to go oh right it, yeah and that was uh had the bunk bunks around the uh, either side one either side were the bunks and there was um I think there's about three or four either side and uh, a mess table in the middle and then there was a, a small space and at one one end uh, there was a, a dartboard and a t- television set was uh, attached to the the uh, the wall on one side yeah. and uh, that was it. That was the only entertainment we had. So how 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 long were you with the station for then, Noel? And and what what did you what? what, what... I was there from about. Uh, I started well in April, and uh, left in uh, at Christmas. Right. Was that a conscious decision, or did did another opportunity come up? Or no, um, I don't know. You can tell from what I told you about the work. I used to work probably. Um, I, had, I didn't have much time off because even when I had time off, I used to, uh, Wilf used to take me around the countryside. He's very political and he used to get me to uh, to make speeches to people about free radio. He was pushing for this and, of yeah. course, because he, he's a politician. Yeah. He was at that time. And, um, he, I, you know, went to universities. I, I remember going to universities or just to um, – to hotels and stuff like that, and it uh, sort of set me up. Here's Neddy Noel, and he's going to tell you about free radio. You know, and it's you'd be off. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, he was he carted me around the north of England on on my days off, and um, then other other times I uh, I had so much work to do that by the end of it, I had lost a lot of weight, and um, I uh, wasn't wasn't uh, feeling that well and I went to a doctor and he said well if you keep going the way you're going you you know you're going to kill yourself so um I had to stop because I I weigh say you know I weigh about 13 or 12 or 13 stone now but I was nine stone then god no I just uh, I went I went to America and then back to Australia and uh, uh just started my career again in Australia yeah so it, it, all in all, you you would how would you sum up that time? Well, I suppose that short time is probably one of the most important parts in my entire radio career, and I I was in a lot of um, 
sort of historic events in, in Australia. I mean, the first FM station, which was Triple M in um, one of the first FM stations, Triple M in Sydney, and then uh, Fox Radio, when the Fox Radio sort of uh, was success, started to be successful, I was there then at that particular time. So I, um, yeah. You've, you've had I a... Still, I still look back on Radio 270 as the most important part of my life. Noel, thanks ever so much for your time. I, I really uh, I really appreciate it, and um, yeah, it's been fabulous talking to you. Okay, Jeff, good talking to you too. I um, hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, definitely so, yeah. See ya. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to uh, Noel Miller for spending some time to chat to us, and um, it took me some time to edit that, to be honest, because we were we chatting about uh, about things for uh, quite a while. Really enjoyed it, and uh, say thanks again uh, to Noel. You heard him also mention in that uh, little interview uh, about the Ballad of Two Seven Zero. We're going to play out with that on the podcast, and uh, um, I know Noel has given me permission, so hopefully nobody um, kicks off about uh, copyrights or anything. But just want to say thank you very much indeed for listening to episode 29. Hopefully we've got a special guest on episode 30 as well. We've got one or two interviews that were uh, lined up. I don't really like to call them interviews, chats really. Uh, but they're being uh, being lined up. So we, we may have a special guest on uh, episode 30 as well, which will be good. Please continue to spread the word. If you want to go back and listen to any of the back catalogues, they are, of course, still available uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. Okay, thank you very much indeed once again for listening and uh, let's leave you with this and this is the ballad of 270 this is radio 270 broadcasting on 11 15 kilocycles in the medium wave band the time is one and a half minutes before midnight and we're now closing down on behalf of the 270 men radio technicians the captain and the crew and everybody on shore concerned with radio 270 this is Young wishing you god bless and goodbye. Radio 270 is now closing down. Recorded music plays an important part in people's lives today. But in the 60s, five hours a day was all that could be played. There's hardly any rock and roll on the radio. The BBC's Tom of the Pops, Ready Steady Go, Radio England and Luxembourg was also very bland. The 60s revolution came when the pirates took command. To Britain and beyond, they were the broadcast buccaneers. The top 40 format was music to their ears. Radio 270, you're listening to the Dennis the Menace Morning Music Show. If you want to get a hold of the top 40, you should have four. The good should be here, guiding the booth. Come on, do it for me. Investors knew the risks. But still they dared to dream They put the money up and no return was ever seen A false start, we've lost the mast and eight weeks of repair Finally, on June the 4th, 270 was on the air Young men, some just teens, were legends overnight Most enjoyed the challenge, others fled in fright Three miles off the Yorkshire coast, the North Sea could be rough on a converted old Dutch lugger, you had to do it tough. This is good about the government trying to close down private radio stations. Well, this is a bad holiday. We've got these off the road. We're in a fire.
Listening to Radio Rollback Podcast. Don't forget to check out the back catalogue and use your podcast app to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode.